We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With My goodness, ladies and gentlemen, what a game we just saw there between the Indiana Pacers and the Denver Nuggets. Oh my goodness, Doug McDermott, best game of the season so far. He was absolutely on fire. In that game, McDermott was an unbelievable 9 for 10 from the field, 6 of 7 from 3. He could not miss in that fourth quarter. And then we got our first triple-double since George Hill from DeMontis Sabonis, who's been flirting with one all season long, finally gets it, 22 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, and he played 41 minutes because of foul trouble to Miles Turner and not you know feeling comfortable playing Goga Bataze. This, this game came down to just hitting shots and making the right plays at the right time. It was like a seven-point Denver lead that the Pacers could not cut into for the longest time, and over and over it would just be like down to five, down to three, then the Nuggets would make a basket. You just felt like in this game the Pacers were not going to be able to overcome the Nuggets' five-point cushion. But then the Pacers took the lead, and they swapped the lead back a couple more times with the Nuggets. But eventually, the three that McDermott hit in the corner, then Justin Holiday was hitting threes. I mean, it was just beautiful execution. And one thing that we know about this Pacers team is they're going to win games because of their bench. And tonight, the Pacers' bench 
with Sabonis was just exactly what won the game for him. TJ Warren, consistent again, 22 points. Not a lot of rebounds, not a lot of assists, but effective field goal shooting, 7 of 13. Malcolm Brogdon, exactly what you need him to be, 22 points, 8 assists, 3 rebounds. I think that Malcolm Brogdon, that dunk was the icing on the cake, but I want to talk about the play and the possession that I think really sealed the deal for the Pacers, and that was that possession when DeMontis Sabonis got three offensive rebounds and kept the, the drive alive before finishing. It was just one of those plays where Sabonis was not going to let Plumlee and not going to let Jokic go out there and out-rebound him, and he was determined, and I, I love it. I mean, 41 minutes, the guy was dog-tired. He, he played the most minutes out of anybody on either side of the, on the, of the ball. So one of those things, it was just a great game from from McDermott, great game from Sabonis, a uh, great game from TJ Warren, uh, a really solid game from Brogdon, and then Justin Holiday. I mean, 14 points, 4 of 8 shooting, really good d- defense. I mean, you cannot talk about the role that these players off the bench have meant for the Pacers. The veterans, McDermott, McConnell, and Justin Holiday have been so good. Um, we, we saw a really bad game for Miles Turner tonight. There's no doubt about it. He fouled out, had three points, two rebounds, 20 minutes. I mean, it was just a tough night for Miles, but hey, that happens. He got in foul trouble a little bit, but that's, I mean, Sabonis had the same problem last Friday night against Minnesota. He, after he had a great game Wednesday against the T-Wolves on Friday, he really struggled. So so Turner struggled in this game. Jeremy Lamb, horrible night shooting 0-7. He only played 23 minutes. Aaron Holiday 0-3. So if you look at your two-guard position, uh, between Lamb and Holiday, they were a combined 0 of 10 from the field with zero points on the Pacers. Still won this game, and I think that comes down to the just incredible shooting from Doug McDermott. And I think my favorite play of the entire game was when Sabonis came down the baseline and had to kind of twerk his uh, arms to get the pass to McDermott in the corner to hit the three. I don't know what the score was at that point. I didn't keep track, but I'm sure you guys can recall that it was just such a beautiful thing. So this is the best way to start off a five-game road trip. Getting a monster win in Denver. They had some injuries. You have to take advantage of this because you know good and well, like this is a good Denver team, uh, second in the Western Conference right now. They're good at home. The altitude makes a, a difference when you're out there. So huge win. Now the Pacers will play tomorrow night against Utah. And, and Utah has won six of their last 18 games. I'm going to dive into this a little bit more later in the podcast with Kent Sterling. We cover the next four games, but yeah, that I mean that was just a huge win that you needed to get on the road. And believe it or not, Indiana Pacer fans, we are one and a half games back from second place in the Eastern Conference. And after this five-game road trip is up, Wednesday, ten days from today, nine if you're listening on Monday morning, Victor Oladipo is back with the Pacers. So. Pacer fans, you have so much to be excited about. I'm going to step out of the way in this segment. Let um, let me turn this over to my conversation with Kent Sterling. We talked for about 30, 35 minutes. Talk about this Western Conference road trip, uh, the remaining four games, and we also discuss uh, some of your Pacers Twitter questions, talking about moving up to the two seed, how far this Pacers team can go, and all that fun stuff. So anyway, guys, great, great game. Absolutely love the effort. I was skeptical of the Pacers winning. I even tweeted, I feel like this is a game the Pacers are going to lose. And you know what? I was completely wrong, and I'm so happy about it because it just makes me more excited for staying up late and watching these late-night games. So 
Anyway, guys, hope you all have a great Monday, and uh, let's go to the next segment. What up, everybody? Mike Focci here, and if you haven't already checked it out, go to PacersTalk.net for the latest coverage on all Pacer news. We have game recaps, game previews, and everything you can imagine. Let's go, Pacers. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. And we have ourselves three shows every week now. And joining me on Mondays going forward is the one and only the great Kent Sterling. Kent, I'm glad to have you on board. Well, thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. It's bitter cold in Indianapolis. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you do on a Sunday like this? Well, I'm going to watch some football, tell you the truth. I, mm-hmm. I got all uh, all the basketball I need yesterday with college games with Butler and Purdue losing, and then Indiana picking up a road win last night at Nebraska. I got a lot of college basketball watching done yesterday, and so now I'm uh, settling in for some, uh, some championship Sunday. Absolutely, and then the Pacers do play tonight at 8 o'clock against the Denver Nuggets, so we'll make sure we catch that game and uh... – you know, it's it's going to be a good road trip. Pacers play five games on the road in nine days, so it'll be exciting. And uh, we don't want to talk too much about that Nuggets game because you're probably listening to this on a Monday morning. So, Ken, let's just jump right into that Jazz game. Uh, the Jazz have won 16 of their last 18 games. They've been on fire. Uh, I think Mike Conley is set to be back coming off the bench as well. So, I mean, this is a team that, you know, is probably going to look for some revenge because the Pacers handed it to them the last time they were in Indianapolis. Yeah, I think that this, of all the games on this road trip, this is going to be the tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah is just so good and so deep. They get scoring from so many people with Donovan Mitchell and Boyan, who we're well too aware of. We know exactly what he likes to do. Rudy Gobert is terrific. Conley coming back. So defensively, they're really good. Offensively, they're good. It's going to be the second game of a road back-to-back on the West Coast at altitude. You know, it's kind of like if you could if you had a bunch of boxes, Okay, what are all the things that you don't want to have happen for an NBA game? I think this one checks a lot of those. (laughs) No, you're exactly right about that. I mean, the altitude is something that is a little bit understated. I mean, I know we always talk about it when the Pacers play Denver and Utah, but it does make a big difference. And uh, you can see it out there on the court. But. One of the things that I've liked about this Jazz team is the play of Joe Ingles the last couple of uh, yeah. weeks. He's he's looked really well, uh, being used more as a facilitator. Donovan Mitchell's playing the point guard position. They just actually uh, agreed to a contract extension with Royce O'Neal four years for uh, $9 million a year. So uh, kudos to him because he's played really well for him too. But I think the biggest question is, you know, the Jazz, they were a team that everybody expected to be pretty good in the Western Conference. And... They have two guys that are caliber all-star players, but Rudy Gobert has not been, you know, given an all-star bid ever. He's never been named to the all-star team. Takes it, you know, pretty serious and personal, and uh, there's, a, there's a good chance that he's got he's going to make the team this year, but there's also a good chance he might not make the team this year. What are your pr- uh, predictions, I guess I should say, on if he makes a team or not? I think he's a definitive all-star. I mean, if you don't make Rudy Gobert an all-star, you're ignoring an entire half of the game. Uh, Rudy Gobert is one of the best three defensive players in the NBA without question, and in a lot of people's minds, the first. And and so if if you don't install him as as an all-star from Utah, number one, you're denying that this team at 29 and 13 is one of the best teams in the NBA. And then secondly, like I said, you're saying that defense just doesn't count, and I don't agree with either. 
Yeah, I think that this is the year that he probably should make the NBA All-Star game, but I just I feel like a lot of these coaches like scores, and that's kind of how the voting comes down to. I mean, uh, Carl Towns has missed quite a few games. I could see him uh, making a good case for making the All-Star game just because of how dominant he is on the offensive end. Same for Devin Booker, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, yeah, I just, you know, if you have to pick between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and only one gets – a uh, chance to represent Utah in the All-Star game, who would you give that vote to? Well, probably if – well, it depends on what role I'm serving, right? If I'm the guardian of the game of basketball, I'd probably give it to Gobert. But if I'm the guy who wants to put butts in seats and have people watch, you know, no, nobody's going to watch TV to see Rudy Gobert play defense. You know, nobody shows exactly. up in arenas to watch Gobert play defense. People will watch. I had friends come up to indianapolis last year to watch donovan mitchell play because they're from louisville the louisville area they love the louisville cardinals and they wanted to see donovan mitchell you don't have that kind of allegiance with a guy like gobert so if i was looking to create an event that was going to generate some revenue for me and some tv ratings it would definitively be donovan mitchell yeah and that's the thing you know i kind of have those same thoughts about uh demontis abonis because He's not the most flashy player. He's a guy that sets screens, really good at passing. You know, he'll make some poster dunks throughout the throughout the season. But you know, does his game really translate to a, a All Star level type player game? I love Domas, and <laughs> and I really think that he. I mean, if you're going to average, you know, right in the area of eighteen and thirteen, you're a hell of a basketball player. And and you look at the Indiana Pacers being where they are, you know, fifth in the Eastern Conference, but just a game out of third. Okay, why? And and if you answer that question honestly, you point to, of all the guys on the floor, I think you either point to Brogdon or Sabonis, but probably more Sabonis because he's been available more often. The Pacers, they deserve an all-star. I think it's Sabonis. Yeah, I agree with you. I just I just don't know if fans would really enjoy his game in an all-star game kind of kind of similar to Roy Hibber when he made the all-star team it's like what is he supposed to do like he's known for blocking shots and (laughs) you know what I mean it's like uh, in an all-star game what is Domas going to do shoot threes I don't think anybody wants to see that but uh back to this jazz game it's a tough game off a back-to-back um what what would you say the Pacers should do I guess offensively and defensively to try to win this game in such a tough environment you know, I think they got to do what they do, and I think a lot of it is at, at what level is Mike Conley going to be able to play? He's still one of the premier defensive point guards in the NBA. Uh, so you've got a premier guy on the exterior. You've got a premier guy on the interior. I think you're going to have to move the ball and create opportunities with open spaces. You look at what happened the last time uh, these two teams played, and, and you look, you, you kind of get an idea of exactly what needs to happen. And on the defensive end, you got to stop uh, Bogdanovich. Yeah. You know, and, and so you can't help off Bogdanovich. And that's not, I mean, if you got Donovan Mitchell, and, and we've seen this, we, we know what Boyan Bogdanovich does. He spaces the floor. And if you can't come off Bogdanovich, then Mitchell becomes more difficult to defend. Gobert becomes more difficult to defend. And you kind of got your hands full. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, they're going to show up and they're going to do whatever they can do to try to win that game and try to win all five of these games. But if there was one game here to kind of shave minutes and say, okay, it's a long trip, you know what, we may have to take one in the shorts here, it's this game against Utah. Yeah, and I think Utah just, they just have so many 
you know, challenges for the Pacers, especially since they got Jordan Clarkson, who has been really good for them off the bench. They're missing that bench scoring punch. And I think that, surprisingly, Jordan Clarkson has actually done pretty well for him. So, you know, this is a game I think is going to be the toughest one on the road trip. But another game that I'm looking forward to probably the most uh, is that Phoenix Suns game. Phoenix is a different team, but there's so many Oof. connections that have tied into this Pacers and Suns team. Obviously, the trade that got the Pacers T.J. Warren uh, basically for nothing, and so I think it'll be exciting to see how Warren plays against his former team. Uh, Ricky Rubio, the most hated player to never wear a jersey for the Pacers, uh, based on what Twitter has had to say about Ricky Rubio. And uh, Devin Booker, a guy that was drafted right after Miles Turner, has been lights out. He scored 30-plus points in eight of their last ten games, and the Suns have won four of their last five games. So Kent, uh, what intrigues you about this this Suns team, and what do you think the Pacers need to do to get this victory on the road? You know, the Suns, and they've won four of their last five. DeAndre Ayton is back, and, and that's a big deal. It seems like as he's come back, this team's kind of found its legs. Booker, 26-and-a-half. Oubre has been terrific. I think that this is a really, really tough game uh, for the Pacers. I, I think that this is the one of those last three where they're most vulnerable. You look at uh, the way they played last night. They had three guys with double-doubles. You know, the the Suns are a team with a lot of weapons, and with Aiton back, they really become problematic. And, you know, if you could have played them a couple of weeks ago, you would have felt really good about it. But I think this game, this is another tough one. I, I really think that they've got a good chance to go 3-2 and two on this trip. And that assumes, in my mind, I know this game hadn't been played as we're talking, that they're going to be able to beat the Denver Nuggets because the Nuggets are shorthanded. I think the Pacers have a chance to go out there and steal one. I think Utah and the Suns, those two games are going to be tough. I, I don't expect Indiana to be able to beat Utah. I think the Phoenix game is kind of a toss-up. Yeah, and JMV mentioned on Friday that he thought two wins out of the five games would be a successful road trip. Uh, do you agree with that? I, I think they should at least win three. No, no, I, I don't agree with that. And that's, you know, it, it, God bless John. He works for the flagship, so you set the bar low and, and you try to clear it. You know, that that's what you do when you're the flagship. You, you, you set the bar low for success. I, I think three out of five at the minimum is a success for this team. And I think that that's where they'll wind up. And I think that's where they should wind up. And then you come back and you got Vic and you feel very good about yourself and you get a chance to kind of attack this second half. But I think if you win three of these, you've got to be able to beat Portland. Portland's right. mailing it. We're going to get to that, I'm sure. But that trade where they send Bazemore to the Jazz, they're, they're, that's a salary dump. And, and then in the other game, you got Golden State, and you've got to be able to beat Golden State. So two, at the minimum, you are going to win. That means you just got to win one of the first three, and I think the Pacers are going to be able to do that. Yeah, see, I'm really just excited for this Phoenix game because of T.J. Warren. I feel like T.J. Yeah. Warren might have a 30-plus game in this game, but I'm also a little nervous that he might try to press a little bit too much and try to prove, like, hey, you guys shouldn't have given up on me. You know, I'm a lot better player. But – um, I think the deal honestly made sense for both organizations, and the Pacers have just done a phenomenal job of developing T.J. Warren, and he's done an awesome job just uh, adapting to what the Pacers have asked of him. I mean, his defense has been pretty pretty good this season. I mean, we've seen him make some great plays on defense towards the end of games, and the rebound he got on 
uh, Friday against the Timberwolves to secure the game and get the jump yeah. on. I mean, you're just seeing little things from TJ Warren that you didn't really see when he was with Phoenix. So I think it's going to be a fun matchup. Yeah, this one to, to me is a toss-up as well. I mean, if Devin Booker gets going, I, I'm just excited to see how the Pacers defend Devin Booker. Will they put Malcolm Brogdon on him, or do you think they'll start off with Jeremy Lamb? I think you put Brogdon on him. Mm-hmm. I, I, Lamb, I, I really th- I'm really surprised by Warren, and I'm surprised by Lamb. Both these guys were, in my world, kind of under the radar. I knew who T.J. Warren was. Jeremy Lamb I knew because he played at UConn. But I didn't know anything about Lamb until this past year with the Hornets. But defensively, I I think that Brogdon is just a better defender. And if you're going to stop anybody for Phoenix, you're going to want to stop Booker. And, And so I think you start with Brogdon. On uh, on Booker and Lamb, I don't know who he matches up with, but this uh, I, I like T.J. Warren's such an interesting cat. You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, he he can score from everywhere. He's just a buckets guy who can get buckets underneath. He can get buckets on teardrops. He can shoot threes. He is a very very versatile scorer. And and for uh, to play as he did the first segment of his career for a team that was going nowhere. And you're just kind of playing for pride after the first five games of the season. You're not always going to get the best that that guy has just because of human nature. I think that T.J. Warren has been absolutely terrific for the Pacers. And I think that it it kind of underscores what Kevin Pritchard's been able to do. And that's target guys. And I credit Ryan Carr and his scouting staff for going out and looking at a guy like T.J. Warren and saying, you know what? here's what he looks like, but here's what he can be. So let's bring him in as a fit guy. And they brought in a bunch of fit guys, and by God, they all do fit. Well, and one thing we know with Indiana, they're not going to attract the biggest name free agents. So if you see a young guy like Warren, you know, pretty much available for nothing on another team, you have to go in and take a risk on him. Uh, I think they did the same thing with uh, with Tyreek Evans last year. That's why they signed him to a one-year deal thinking maybe if he's on a winning team, he might be able to produce. And we saw that that was not the case. So I think that, that's true. You know, they, they take gambles and sometimes they pay off and sometimes they don't. So that's why I'm so intrigued by TJ Warren. And we have really enjoyed um, on our setting the pace Twitter account, uh, getting into it with Miami Heat fans still about the whole Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren stuff. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that the Heat fans are tired of us bringing it up. But uh, it just seems to get so many uh, responses from our Pacer fans. So uh, it's really fun. But let's move on to the next game, the Golden State Warriors. Oh, man, this team just what a fall from where they were at. You know, so many injuries have taken this team down to just a terrible, a terrible team in the Western Conference. And they just ended their 10-game uh, losing streak with a win over the Orlando Magic last night on Saturday. So they've uh, lost 10 of their last 11 games. So the Pacers cannot lose this game. This is a must-win game uh, if you're talking about this road trip. You've got to beat uh, Glenn Robinson the third, D'Angelo Russell, right? Uh, Alec Burks, Eric Paschal. You know, it, it, Draymond Green has played 32 games. Willie Cauley-Stein... If you can't beat this team, if you can't muster up the effort necessary to beat them wherever you're playing them, if you're playing them on the surface of the moon, (laughs) then you really had a problem that night showing up. And the Pacers, 
you know, they don't have that obvious star guy. They they don't have a threesome. They don't have any of that stuff that you need on championship teams. But the one thing that they do have is they show up night after night after night, and they give a good, honest effort. And if if they give a good, honest effort, they ought to be able to vanquish the Warriors. No, they definitely should. I, I think we should monitor as well. Uh, Draymond Green did miss the game last night with a sprained uh, finger and GR3 missed a game with an ankle injury. So keep an eye on that because those are two of their top five players this year uh, without Steph and without Clay. Now, Steph Curry is set to return, so the Pacers will probably see Steph when they host the Warriors in March, but they don't have to worry about him on this road trip. This is a game the Pacers cannot lose, and I think that you know the, the bigs have to have a, a huge game here because while, while we know Draymond Green is a solid defender, Depending on who he guards, I mean, if he's not going to guard Sabonis in the pick and roll, I think the Pacers should have their way against Willie Cauley-Stein and uh, D'Angelo Russell, someone who's not a very good defender. So this is a game I don't want to spend too much time on just because I, I don't think this is a game we should have to worry about. But the Blazers game is the one I'm worried about the most, Kent, because it's the last game of the road trip. There's nine game, yeah. nine days on the road. This has been a place that the Pacers have not won, according to Chris Denary, since Nate McMillan was the coach in Portland. So it's been a very long time since the Pacers have won in Portland. Uh, Damian Lillard is averaging 27 points and 7.6 uh, six assists. Just, just a really, you know, a weird team. I am surprised how bad they're doing this season. You know, they, they haven't been very good lately. They have, uh, they've lost 10 of their last 14. And, you know, from a statistical standpoint, like you mentioned, I mean, there's always Lillard. There's always McCollum. Um, you know, Carmelo is going to give them whatever he gives them. I never worry about Carmelo Anthony. It seems like he's, he's a guy destined to be the 17-point-a-game guy who plays on a losing team. He shows up in the locker room. And all of a sudden, something terrible happens as it's happened to the Portland Trailblazers. You know, two months ago, when Carmelo signed, people are, are saying, well, you know, this elevates the Portland Trailblazers. I don't know who Carmelo Anthony's agent is. I don't know who he's got, like, work in the media. But every time he goes someplace, they say, oh, this is the piece that they were missing. And all of a sudden, he sucks the life out of that team and out of that locker room, and they go into a free fall. So uh, Carmelo, notwithstanding this team, it's got guys who are capable of playing well enough to beat you. But if I'm playing for the Blazers, maybe this makes me weak mentally. But I see them do the salary dump trade that they did with the Kings. I think, okay, we're mailing it in. We're trying to get in the lottery. We're going to get in the lottery. And we are no longer serious about playing winning basketball. And and that's one of those things, one of those uh, cultural aspects of making a deal like this that is almost unavoidable and mm-hmm. i think out of that I, i'm not too altogether this this is a game you got to be able to win it's not like a must win like that warriors game is but i think if you can't beat the blazers given where their heads are and where their quality of play is that uh you're going to regret it because that's that's one that should be in the w column I'll say this. Terry Stotts is a really good basketball coach. I like Terry yep. Stotts a lot, and I think that uh, what he's done with the Portland teams that he's had the last couple of years has been very impressive and how far he's gotten them. But I also want to say this. like Pacer fans that want to make a bunch of trades in the summer and try to get a superstar and stuff like that, I understand wanting to better your team. But at the end of the day, you have to make the right moves 
for your team chemistry because we saw last yeah. year what it did with Tyreek Evans and look at the Blazers this year. They they lose some key guys that weren't necessarily stars, but you lose Evan Turner, who was a good leader for that team, surprisingly. Uh Alpha Rukaminu, uh Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard. I mean those were four guys and Seth Curry was another one. Those were five guys on their core last year that made a huge difference for them in that playoff run and they all went their own ways and instead you bring in guys like Kent Bazemore who they just offloaded to Sacramento like you mentioned they bring in Hassan Whiteside who's nothing but trouble and just thinks he's the greatest center in the world when he's not so uh, just they made a lot of moves that put them backwards and I don't think that this team really knows what they're doing I think they know they've got a star in Damian Lillard and a nice complimentary player next to him I mean a really good complimentary player next to him with CJ McCollum but outside of that, they don't have a lot. I mean, I'm sure they like Anthony Simons and Zach Collins. They're two young players that they want to build with. But uh, this team, to me, is just headed in the wrong direction. And the Pacers should find a way to break this losing streak in Portland and get this win. Let me ask you this. You mentioned Evan Turner. Evan Turner fascinates me as a guy who played for the Pacers just a little bitty bit. You know, mm-hmm. after after the Granger trade, he came in with Lavoie. And and people just hated uh, hated Evan Turner. Michael Grady hated Evan Turner. You, you're not. I, I was in the locker room quite a bit, and I had a lot of conversations with him, and I just never understood it. it Explain to me the hatred of Evan Turner. I don't necessarily think it's Evan Turner's fault. I think it's more so the fact that we traded Danny Granger for him. Okay, and and that's my take on it because Granger meant so much to this team. I mean, you obviously know that, and right. it really had an effect on the team and Evan Turner was putting up great numbers in Philadelphia then came here and just really struggled I'm not I'm not sure what it was maybe uh coming off the bench was something he had wasn't used to being a starter in Philadelphia uh maybe because he was on a tanking team in Philadelphia that had won like maybe like 10 games at that point uh didn't have his mind in the right place uh, Andrew Bynum was on that team as well like Larry Bird was trying yeah. to do everything he could to you know dethrone the LeBron James Miami Heat teams but uh, every move he made seemed to kind of have an effect on it, and maybe you know I, I don't necessarily have a problem with Evan Turner. I don't, I didn't boom or anything like that. Like there's no hard feelings. It's just like I think people maybe wanted him to be more than he was, and he didn't live up to okay. the hype. And he that, missed a lot of enough. shots, and he's bad defender, horrible defender. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that yeah. that was Grady's thing, if I recall. I'd always make fun of his defense. Yeah, he did miss a lot of shots. That's the truth. Yeah. I, uh, I, he was always such a congenial guy with me and, and I liked him and, and I'd seen him play well elsewhere. And I, I, I've just never been able to figure out uh, Michael's got some acrimony for him that, that is so unlike him. I, I never even asked him about it because I, I, I kind of didn't want to hear the answer because it's so unlike Michael to really dislike guys. But I, I was interested in your perspective. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I would love to hear what other Pacer fans think about Evan Turner as well, just because uh, there just seems like I, I saw somebody the other day put out a most uh, most hated Pacers list, and Evan Turner made the list, and I was kind of surprised by that. <laughs> they had him at power forward with Tyreek Evans, Andrew Bynum, and a couple other people, and I was just like, Amate Ellis obviously was on there. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, what, what is going on here? Like Evan Turner to me is not even in the same realm of uh, Monte Ellis or T- Tyreek Evans' effect on the team. Like it was a half a season at the most. Uh, but uh, anyway, so 
you know, overall, I think we both think the Pacers should should go three and two. And we yeah. did have a couple questions here from some fans, uh, not necessarily about the road trip, but just Pacer questions in general. So uh, we'll get to those first. And uh, Jordan S underscore three 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 asked, "Could this team beat any team in a seven game series in the East? Not name the Bucks." So Kent, I'll let you answer this question. Could they beat any of them? Yeah. Not name the Bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I think that they could beat any of them. Not name the Bucks. I, I don't know that they will, but I think that they could. I, you know, the Celtics don't look great right now. I think they could beat the Celtics in a seven-game series potentially. I think they could beat Toronto in a seven-game series. I, I think if everybody's kind of at full strength for Philadelphia, I think that's a bit of a tough matchup. I think Joel Embiid is a real mitigator when it comes to what the Pacers like to do down low. I think that that would be tough, but I think it's certainly possible. Um, yeah, I, I've got no problem. Now, the Bucks are a whole different deal. Right. Like, you're, you're not going to beat the Bucks. The Bucks are going to represent the – barring injury, the Bucks are going to represent the East in the NBA Finals, and that's just the way it is. They're way too well constructed. They fit together. Plus, you've got one of the best three players in the NBA right now, and Antetokounmpo. And so you're you're not beating them, but I think that you could potentially beat anybody else. This is a team with Vic. You could go to the conference finals yeah. and and play the Bucks. Yeah, that's that's what I said when I was on Dan Dockage's show uh, earlier this year. I, I basically just said, yeah, I think if Vic, because he asked me if Vic comes back to who he was last year, not even the guy he was two years ago. How far do I think the Pacers can make it? And I said, I think Eastern Conference Finals is a realistic. Uh, uh, goal for them. Uh, the way they've been playing all year, I think Sabonis and Turner have figured things out. Brogdon um, has been so good down the stretch, just very poised, and you know the adult in the room is what I like to call him. I, I mean, I think this Pacers team is structured very well, and I, I think the biggest question mark now, once Oladipo returns, is how does the rotation shake out? Uh, I think yeah. I've, I think I officially settled. I, I've made my. Uh, I put it on Twitter. I said I finally have come to what I think is going to happen. I think Aaron Holiday is going to be the odd man out of the rotation. I know that kind of sounds weird, but I just McConnell is the engine. The as uh, McMillan called him the other night, the injection of the bench. And, and then you've got McDermott, who's been having a career year, and Justin Holiday has been too good for the Pacers with what his role is asked of. So I just think you know Lamb and Holiday play the same position. Lamb will just slide to that, and then. I think unfortunately Aaron's going to be the you know the third string shooting guard in the in the rotation. I mean, do you agree with that or do you think that there there's opportunities for him to play still? I think it's going to be interesting to see how Lamb kind of accommodates that level of of subservience if that's the word kind of he's going to have to accommodate the Pacers and continue to work really really hard. I I think it's all going to come out in the wash. I think somebody, like, you're not going to go through a season where nobody gets hurt. I think somebody's going to get hurt. I think Aaron Holiday's a guy who's got to play a little bit because he's one of those guys. Like, uh, oh, who is the guy? Uh, DJ Augustine, a couple of years ago, right, against the mm -hmm. Knicks, went off oh, and yeah. beat the Knicks in a game, a game that the Pacers really needed if they were going to win that series. I think Aaron Holiday can be that kind of guy who comes off the bench gets you 18 in 16 minutes that the opponent hadn't accounted for, and you win a game in a seven-game series because of Aaron Holiday. I think and Holiday's a guy who is not that accommodating. You know, Holiday's right. a guy who can get a little bit moody 
and and that's not good. I think that Nate Nate's done a great job to this point of of moving the pieces around in a way where everybody who deserves minutes is getting them and feels like they are a necessary component in the success of the team. I think that he's going to negotiate his way through that in a way that keeps Aaron Holiday very, very engaged. Well, I hope you're right, because I don't want to see Aaron just completely go out of the rotation. It just I'm just not sure how they can find a way to play all 10 guys, especially if you know Sabonis and Turner are both starting and there's not really that backup center, and I don't think there's anybody on the bench that's getting significant time besides Goga that's going to get minutes at the five. So, uh, you know, you can't play McDermott or Lamb or any of those guys at that five position. They're just not big enough. And one of the things we saw last year against Boston was just McDermott was not able defensively to stay with those guys. And he ended up getting pulled from the rotation in that last game, and Aaron Holiday was given his spot. And, I mean, with Jeremy Lamb being six foot six, I could see him as well sliding down to the three and putting Aaron in the backcourt with uh, McConnell just – based on the matchup definitely so that's that's a question i think that all pacer fans are excited to see how mcmillan handles that bench rotation but our last question comes from naptown hoops and he wants to know do you get guys believe that the pacers could move up to the second seed in the eastern conference so you just what what did you say the pacers were standing wise right now uh they are fifth again at least prior to the games tonight they're fifth i think a half game uh, back of Toronto and a game back of uh, or, or a, a half game back of Boston and a game back at Toronto. Okay, so they're almost they're only a game behind the third spot now. Miami is what? How many games are they ahead of us? Uh, they are two games, uh, two and a half games up. They're seven and a half back of the Bucks, and the Pacers are ten back of the Bucks right now. Oh no! So <laughs> yeah, so Miami is not that far ahead, but they do. Uh, have two games on the Pacers, which makes any tiebreaker situation uh, a difficult one for the Pacers to try to uh, get an advantage there. But I, I think they could get the two seed. I just think it's going to be difficult with Vic coming back and seeing how that whole uh, chemistry you know, ties in together. I mean, we saw at the beginning of the year the guys struggled a little bit to get familiar with one another, and once they did, they started playing better. But uh, incorporating a guy that's as valuable as Victor into this lineup, as great as he is, uh, just everybody trying to figure out their role in the team with Victor back is going to be a challenge, in my opinion. You know, I, I think finding a way to climb over the top of the heat is going to be really difficult. You look at Butler, Nunn, Adebayo, you look at Dragic, Harrow, Robinson as kind of an offense spacer, defense spacer, and they just look like a really good basketball team. And, and, and the way they played against the Pacers, uh, you hope you don't draw them. You know, you, you'd almost rather finish fourth than third if you've got to play the Heat in a seven-game series. Spolstra, I've been stunned, right? You know, as as he was kind of installed as the guy, I thought that he was being put in there as the coach uh, by Pat Riley as, you know, kind of a, uh, a guy who was there to take orders from LeBron and from Pat. But it's obviously turned out that Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the NBA, uh, with Spolstra and Butler and the assets that the Heat have, that would be a tough seven-game series for the Pacers. Yes, it would, and I think that the shooting is what has just been remarkable from that team. I mean, yeah. you guys got like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. While these are you know good shooters, uh, I don't know if another team, you know, maybe Milwaukee could value them as much as Miami does, but other teams might not put them in the position to succeed. I mean, Kendrick Nunn, another guy that has just 
out of nowhere been really good for him. I mean, I had high expectations for Bam Adebayo out of Kentucky. I was actually hoping that he might fall to the Pacers at 18 just because I like the style of uh, basketball that he played and how aggressive he is. And I think he's an all-star, obviously, this year. So, uh, you know, be- between him and Butler, those are two core guys. And there's still rumors, you know, are the are the Heat going to make a move because they do have expiring contracts and they their name is always brought up when it comes to free agents and rumors, even if they don't have money, like we saw with Jimmy Butler, they found a way to make that deal happen. So, you know, that that's a team that I'm a little bit afraid of as well, just because of how bad they've, you know, beat the Pacers the last game. Now, the first game, the Pacers held their own, though. I mean, yeah. they only lost by one point in Miami, a tough environment. Uh, didn't have Brogdon or Oladipo in both those games, and Sabonis really struggled in the first game. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things. None of these teams in the East really scare me outside of Milwaukee. Uh, but Philadelphia with Embiid does make me a little nervous just because if Miles or Sabonis gets in foul trouble, you're going to have to rely on Goga to play some significant minutes. And while that might be good for his development, I'm not sure if he's ready for a, a playoff series with a guy like Embiid. You know, and uh, yeah, Philadelphia is not a good matchup. And the Heat, it just looked like when they played back here that the Pacers had no answer. Right. And and I don't know whether that was kind of a manifestation of the whole Jimmy Butler, T.J. Warren thing or what that was. And by the way, I mean, if anybody who's spent any time with T.J. Warren, he's the last guy that you would, you would guess would have this kind of dust up with Jimmy <laughs> Butler. But uh, yeah, and we really don't know. I, as, as I keep talking about the Pacers, I'm talking about the Pacers minus Oladipo, which means minus Jeremy Lamb being part of that second unit. And we don't really even know what this thing's going to look like come January 29th when Vic comes back. McMillan doesn't know at this point whether Vic's going to come off the bench initially or start. I think he's going to start initially. I'd be stunned if he came off the bench. But this is going to be, for better or worse, and we hope much better, uh, a different team with Victor Oladipo, and those matchups get, become much different against the Heat and against the 76ers because not only are you bringing back a guy who's uh, you know a bona fide 22, 23 point a game scorer, you know under the right circumstances, you're bringing back a guy who is an absolute lockdown elite level wing who you can put on a guy like Jimmy Butler, and let's see how that rolls instead of T.J. Warren with Jimmy Butler. It's a little bit of a size mismatch, but you could do it, and all of a sudden things get a little bit different. I I think that that's going to be fun. That'll be the fun part to watch of this deal, especially the the first few games right before the All-Star break where Victor's come back. Yeah, and and I think Pacer fans are probably just ecstatic because seven of those eight games are going to be at home. So you're going to get a lot of opportunities to see Victor uh, back on the court and, you know, uh, putting himself back in that roster and that lineup, just trying to figure out his way. And I think, you know, just one more thing on that Heat game, too. It's like Aaron Holiday has really struggled the last little bit. I know he had a good game against Chicago, but he's not been playing at the level he played at in December where he was taking down Toronto and uh, looked really good in that Miami game. And, you know, Miami was just lights out from three. So defending the three is going to have to be something the Pacers work on as well because they can't allow Miami shooters to get hot like they did once again. I mean, it wasn't just Duncan Robinson. I mean, it was everybody. They had such balanced scoring in that game. It was like the whole Heat team was on fire and the Pacers had no answer for them. So uh, just really excited, though, about 
the future of this team, a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, I always enjoy watching uh, the late night games. I know it's a little bit late for us East Coasters, but it is kind of fun to stay up, uh, watch these games, and then try to cover them. So, Kent, I know you got some football to watch. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we look forward to doing this again next Monday. Terrific. Can't wait. Thanks, Alex. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.